Welcome to Nursing Sound Reports, a podcast offered by the Iowa Board of Nursing. I'm your host, Anne Ryan. Thank you for joining me. Today, we are talking to Dr. Jimmy Reyes, Associate Director of Nursing Practice and Nursing Education, who has been with the board for eight years. Today, Dr. Reyes will walk us through the process of how nurses are educated in Iowa and then how nursing education programs are regulated in Iowa. Dr. Reyes, thank you for joining me. Thank you, Anne. Can you start by just telling the listeners a little bit about yourself? Yes. My name is Jimmy Reyes, and I am originally from Santiago, Chile. I moved to the United States when I was about 12 years old, and my grandmother was a public health nurse, which inspired me to become a nurse. I remember working with her in Chile and going to different houses and helping many elderly patients with questions that they had about healthcare and issues that they had on a daily basis. So that really helped me and I knew from early on that I wanted to become a nurse. When I moved to the United States, when I I was about 12 years old, I was mentored by several high school advisors who really helped me to choose a path in nursing that would then develop into an advanced practice role. I moved to Iowa City at a very young age and I left my family behind in Orlando, Florida when I traveled, which about took 26 hours to get to from Orlando to the to Iowa City. And it was a, a very interesting experience because leaving your family and going to a nursing program to pursue your dreams was at that time challenging and lots of work and lots of um, commitments that I had to do in terms of getting my education at the time. When I moved to Iowa City, I was mentored by many faculty members. I remember working as a nursing assistant for a couple of years while I was going to school. And then I became a a nurse, a registered nurse with my bachelor's degree. But I always knew that I wanted to pursue the advanced practice role, so I continued on and enrolled right away into an adult GRO nurse practitioner program at the University of Iowa. And I was working in a medical surgical cancer floor at the time, but also going to school and doing some research, clinical research with some of the faculty at the university. So early on, I knew that uh, not only I would become a nurse, but also an educator and clinician and a researcher. Many of them gave me opportunities to work in their own research studies and in different projects. And once I finished the master's, I enrolled right away into a doctoral program. So then I became a doctor of nursing practice as an adult gerontological nurse practitioner. And right away, I also enrolled in a PhD program at the time. But then I really had to take a pause and work in different capacities. So I was working as a, an advanced practice provider with a faculty practice for a few years with students, with migrant workers in a small town south of Iowa City. And that was a very rewarding experience, working with the students helping them with uh, their own questions on how to take care of patients who are underserved and underprivileged and not understanding Spanish because none of them spoke spoke Spanish. So that was an interesting experience for the students and I think it opened their eyes to not only the bedside nursing but also community health nursing and public health, looking at research differently and also policy and regulation. That all sounds very rewarding, Dr. Reyes. 
How did you become interested in nursing regulation after all of that experience you had? Thank you, Anne. It um, evolved over time. When I was working as an advanced practice nurse, I was also teaching at the time at the University of Iowa. And during my time, I was recruited by Kirkwood Community College to become a faculty member there while I was working on my doctorate degree. And that position flourished into becoming the Dean of Nursing at a very young age. I was actually 30 years old when I became the Dean of Nursing at Kirkwood. And I was there for about uh, three years in that capacity. So that opened my eyes to the world of administration, working with other departments, working with students to help them attain an associate's degree in nursing and also licensed practical nursing degree, and also understanding some of the challenges that the students had with overcoming family issues, overcoming work challenges. Many of them had personal goals and aspirations, and that really drove me to, to see what we could do at the legislative level and also helping them financially and providing them with different resources. Working with faculty was excellent as well. Many of the faculty were very proactive in mentoring their students and also working with other departments. So that exposure for during those three years as the dean really opened my eyes to other opportunities that I could make a difference at a larger scale. And in 2014, is when I received a call from Ms. Kathy Weinberg, the executive director at the Iowa Board of Nursing, with this opportunity to become the associate director of practice and education. And I just couldn't say no to that, that opportunity. And I took it and I moved from Iowa City to Des Moines. And I have been in regulation for the past eight years. And it's been a, a privilege. And it's also been challenging because there's a heavy weight of responsibility to understanding the regulations. When I get calls from clinicians, administrators, the public about the scope of practice of nurses and also about the education that nurses receive in the state. So it's a lot of information that always changes with research and new clinical guidelines. And as a regulatory body, it's, a, it's very critical for us to just point them to where they can find the correct information. And where does the board uh, derive their authority from? Where can they find you know, those rules that you're talking about? Yes, so the Iowa Board of Nursing website has many great resources and all of the information from the Iowa legislative site is on the Board of Nursing website. It's very easy to identify the rules. So for example, chapter two is the nursing education program chapter and that has information about all of the approval information, information about what a program needs to have, such as resources, faculty, staff, curriculum, clinical facilities, preceptorship experiences, documentation, accreditation documents, and the list goes on. So there's so much information that is included in that chapter, but it really regulates and provides information on what the nursing program needs to have in the state of Iowa. Other chapters, for example, chapter six speaks about the scope of practice of registered nurses and licensed practical nurses and really provides an oversight on their scope and what are some activities and functions that they could do at that level. And so the authority comes from straight from the legislature to the board. Is that through statutes? That is correct, yes. So we have statutes that uh, laws that really broadly provide some guidance as to how to write the administrative rules. So the statute 
is very specific in terms of that we must approve nursing education programs, for example. And from that point, we had then developed the Iowa administrative chapter, which really talks more specifically on the requirements of what that looks like. Can you explain to the listeners why it's important for nursing education to be regulated? Nursing education is to be regulated because not only protects the public and the student, but it also ensures that there's a quality indicator and standards that, are, that need to be met at the state level. I would say that most nursing education programs are accredited additionally by other federal agencies that oversee their accreditation process. But in Iowa, I think we're fortunate that we have a board that is very proactive. It's not prescriptive, but it does provide more guidance as to the regulations that are needed in order to run a specific program and for them to be successful with their students and to graduate them and to welcome them into the workforce. So I think it's a partnership between the academic setting and the Board of Nursing and the rules that are written, which actually we do have an advisory committee that reviews rules frequently, and this is composed of different stakeholders, directors of nursing, faculty that provide some input into anything that is new and innovative in nursing education. So for example, the preceptorship model during the pandemic and how many of the programs had to deviate and pivot from being just a face-to-face program, but more virtually in providing that type of support to students, especially during that very challenging time. And then also another example is about telehealth, even though it's not in chapter two, but we are also teaching our, our students how to implement telehealth services for underserved populations. It's something that we didn't have rules, but now we have more guidance that I think will be very helpful for all Iowa. Are you aware of any problems in other jurisdictions where nursing education is less regulated or not regulated? So we are fortunate that we work with the National Council of State Boards of Nursing, and that association works with all 50 states. And they actually develop module rules for all of the states and give them additional guidance and research and resources for those states to develop administrative rules. I have seen that some states do not have a specific board of nursing or they're possibly involved or are part of another agency. And many times the rules that they have are very generic and they're not very specific to, for example, a nurse practitioner program or a doctor of nursing practice program or even a licensed practical nursing program. In our state, we're fortunate that we have those divisions and we can actually talk about specific requirements for a specific program. In other states, they're just so generic that it can cause confusion with the public. Many times when a student calls, they may be confused as to, am I gonna be able to take the NCLEX? Or can I take my certification exam after I graduate from a nurse practitioner program? So it all depends on the guidance that we can provide and in some states, and it can be a challenge if you don't have specific guidance and specific rules that can talk about how that program is accredited and approved and what are some of the resources that they need to provide students. So that is the main example and difference that I've seen from our state with others. 
Can you walk us through your process when you review as you know, an individual nursing program? How does that work? Excellent question. Every six years, the board has the authority to approve programs and they go on a renewal cycle. And typically I would say that we review about five or six programs every term, the spring term and the fall term. During that visit before the pandemic, we would do site visits in person. So we would actually drive to that school. So for example, if I had to drive from Des Moines to Sioux City, it would take about three and a half hours to get there. I would drive the day before and I had another faculty member who was employed by the Board of Nursing to work with me to conduct the visit. Prior to that, the School of Nursing had to supply documents about two months ahead of time to ensure that we could review the documents and during the day of the visit, we could actually visit with all the faculty, the students, the administration. We had the opportunity to visit their simulation rooms, the conference rooms. We could also visit hospitals and clinics where the students would do their preceptorships. And we also had a specific room with many documents that we had to review throughout the entire process. It typically takes about two days to review all the documents and it goes from very systematic and very high level documents, so the accreditation documents or their systematic evaluation program, all the way down to a student record. So we had to make sure that we can review all of that ahead of time. Now with the pandemic, we're doing what we call a virtual resource room. So we're not physically there, but the school has the, we asked the school to provide us with the, an access to a, a learning module system where we can actually access all of those documents electronically. So now we actually have more time to review the documents instead of just two days. We typically receive access or we have access about a month before the visit. And that has really streamlined the process. Also during the meetings with students, faculty and staff, all of that is being done via Zoom instead of a face-to-face -face visit. So that has actually provided more flexibility for students particularly because many of them would not be able to be there in person because they were in a clinical facility or doing a preceptorship or they had to work. And so this has really helped us to get more comments about that specific program. So we had to pivot and shift to make sure that we can meet the standards. But at the same time, I think all schools have done a great job with helping us to provide this virtual resource room during the day of the visit. But I would say that it takes a lot of work to put all those documents together and for the, us to review all of those documents in about two days. That sounds very involved. It is. The whole process before and after the, the pandemic. How do you measure the school's success in, in your site visit and your reviews? We have program outcomes in chapter two that really tied into the NCLEX. So if you have a pre-licensure program, let's say a, a licensing practical nursing or an associate degree in nursing program, as we know, those students have to take the NCLEX to become licensed afterwards. There are some program outcomes that look at that NCLEX alone, but I know that the National Council has published research that's looking at different program outcomes. So for example, graduation rate, employment rates, looking at different data in terms of faculty numbers, looking at the quality of the program. So we not only just look at the NCLEX, but we also look at other program outcomes. There are implicitly stated in chapter two. I think the time will come when we will actually 
be able to include that in Chapter 2 at some point when there is more research from the National Council and other boards of nursing. But at this time, it, the NCLEX is one of the indicators, but we know that it's not the only one. When it comes to graduate programs, one of the indicators would be the National Passing Certification exams. So for example, a nurse practitioner program in family or adult gerontology, they have to take a certification exam after they complete the program to become licensed. So in addition to that, it could also be, again, the graduation rate, employment rates, looking at uh, the program quality, clinical facilities, and other resources. So there are many ways that we can actually measure that program outcome and the success of a program. And I would say that we have been very fortunate that, that in Iowa, a lot of all the programs really do a great job with maintaining that high standard of excellence. And it, it really appears to us that they really care about their students. So they want their success. Dr. Reyes, could you describe some challenges that you face in your position? Thank you. And there are many challenges, especially with the pandemic. When that happened, the Board of Nursing had to close doors, but we were still working from home. And when it comes to nursing education, we received many calls from nursing directors, presidents, the public about continuing to provide programs in Iowa to not to stop clinical experiences or preceptorship experiences and for students to attend classes online virtually. And many of the programs have the capacity to do that, but as you know, they are, the students are required to go there in person. So when they had to pivot, it took quite a bit of planning on their part to make sure that they could still provide the program during the pandemic. You also had faculty that maybe just taught in person instead of virtual or, or online, and they had to learn how to provide this, the teaching pedagogies electronically. And so that was a challenge for a lot of the faculty and staff. All of the resources and documents that you would have in person and you could actually touch the documents, now you, everything was virtual. And so that really changed the way the nursing education was being implemented in some programs. Other programs, like if you have an RN to BSM program, typically it's online. You have nurses working in the field, and they can only take classes at night or on the weekends. But all of that is provided electronically. And so many of them were accustomed to this change. It wasn't as difficult. But they still had to pivot because some of them had to do clinical and preceptorships. So here we're talking about virtual simulation, which, for example, if we do simulation, you do it in person. It was not really spoken on how to do virtual simulation or how to use other technology to provide that education. And there were many discussions about, are we doing a good job and are we doing a disservice by having students not do them in person, but actually having a different technology doing them virtually? So that caused a lot of discussion and based on research and different guidelines, and now two years after, things have changed. I think there's a more open idea of the impact and the efficacy of those virtual simulation resources and how faculty can be prepared to implement them. I think there's still a lot more research that needs to be done to make sure that that type of teaching is effective. But again, it provides another venue for nurses to continue on with their education. I believe that other fields had to stop their programming because of lack of clinical facilities or clinical preceptors 
maybe faculty were not prepared to provide the education electronically or, or virtually, but with nursing, we just didn't have that option. So we had to really pivot. And so that first year in 2020, it was really a challenging time for all administrators and faculty to just modify their teaching and modify the, the delivery of the, the teaching method. Nowadays, two years later, I would say that all of our meetings are done virtually and now they're very successful. It's just part of our, our routine but many of them did have to pivot. So that was a, one of the biggest challenges at the time. And with that, we also had to make sure that the rules aligned with their methodology. And fortunately, our rules are very comprehensive and broad enough that we didn't have to make a lot of changes to the rules. Because as you know, Anne, that takes a lot of time to change rules and having a committee looking at that. But again, we do have a, a committee that really focuses on the revisions and changes to those rules. So I think we're very fortunate from that standpoint. And that all sounds extremely challenging, uh, especially during a time when we needed nurses to be graduating from those programs and, and get, get to work. So we appreciate all the extra work that you did to help the programs get along and um, get those nurses out there. We definitely need more nurses, that is for sure. We want to keep them in the workforce, in the pipeline, making sure that they can continue on with their careers as well. We always encourage all nurses to pursue additional graduate programs and degrees, if not that, to continue with their own continuing education credits and attend courses and, and programs that can really help them to become an expert in their areas. Dr. Reyes, this has been very informative and you provided us with a lot of great information. Do you have any last takeaways for our listeners? Thank you, Anne. Yes, I have a couple of takeaways. I think that nursing regulation is not discussed much in nursing education programs. If you had asked me when I started my nursing career if I wanted to become a nurse regulator, I would probably be looking at you with a question mark because it is not something that I was thinking about doing. I knew that I wanted to become a nurse practitioner, work with patients, become a nurse administrator. But when this opportunity came up, I thought that it would be an opportunity to instill leadership and have a larger impact to other nurses in the state. And I think it has really helped me to have an understanding of the importance of being active in a nursing association, attending meetings and conferences, and having your voice heard, especially when it comes to issues, for example, the pandemic, or if you're passionate about specific populations or communities, if you're passionate about advanced practice nursing or research or clinical practice, I think there is a, all of us have a role to play in our healthcare system, and we can all contribute and make a difference in our daily practice. So I think the takeaway would be to reflect as to what type of nursing I would like to be or what type of nursing I would like to do in five, 10 years from now, even though it may seem impossible at the time, but with additional education and mentorship from many faculty and friends and different stakeholders, and again, being present in meetings and conferences really can help you shape your own and build your own leadership style and how you can then contribute to society in a very effective and positive way. And if anyone wanted more information about 
what you do or nursing regulation, where would they find that? They can actually find the information on the Iowa Board of Nursing website. My contact information is under staff and the, my email, which is Jimmy, J-I-M-M-Y dot Reyes, R-E-Y-E-S at Iowa.gov or they can call me at 515-326-4400. And I will be very happy to talk about any questions or any concerns about nursing education. Dr. Reyes, thank you for being with me today and talking with our listeners. Thank you, Anna. I appreciate it. You can find us on Apple, Google, Spotify, or Amazon, or reach us through our website at nursing.iowa.gov.